Welcome back to the final half hour of another Friday afternoon edition of Green Rush Live. I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. I'm joined by Josh Kincaid, who's a regular contributor to our weekly news show that is live streamed right after this live program at six o'clock ish. And uh, Josh is our Washington state correspondent. We have about 10 other state correspondents now, including one from Europe. And uh, I'm really proud of the fact that people like Josh are willing to give whatever long, however long it takes you, Josh, to put your report together every week. Uh, I know some it takes hours and others it doesn't take more than 90 seconds. Um, so I appreciate the effort that you put in and you've been an added addition to our coast to coast effort here on Pro Cannabis Media. So I'm on record of saying thank you. Yeah, happy to be on, man. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. And we welcome in a guy who's been on with us in the past, uh, someone I have a lot of respect for and enjoy his company, both uh, socially and taking one of his seminars, which I took at the New England Cannabis Convention uh, this past fall, got me out of bed on a Saturday at about 8 a.m. And I got into Boston in time to make it to the seminar. And I still say that was a it was an invigorating experience. David Kunick from UCS Advisors. David, great to see you again. Uh, thanks for having me today, Jimmy. Appreciate it. And so it was great to be on. And yes, uh, the seminar you were there and uh, the fact that you stood the, that you uh, stayed the entire time means we we're doing something right. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was I thought it was entertaining. You kept it moving. Uh, it was a dog and pony show with you and Chris. I'll be perfectly honest, but you have to be somewhat of an entertainer when you have a, a, a live audience, if you will, of people in front of you. Right. Exactly. Well said. All right. So uh, you are a doctor of physical therapy, if I remember correctly. Correct. Right. Yep. And, uh, and a doctor of also healthcare management as well, too. Um, I have a prescription in my pocket. I just want you to know I'm going to find a physical therapist now to take care of this uh, aging body of mine. But we don't want to get into that. I want to continue to talk about uh, cannabis. We have Kim Real from Azuka and Chef Nikki Escoto. I got it right. I got it right uh, with us as well. But uh, David, I want to I want to get your impressions about where we are at now with the uh, end of prohibition movement that continues to evolve here in the United States. Are you, and you're in New Jersey, if I remember correctly, right? I, I have uh, offices in New Jersey and also Portland, Maine. And I used to have one in Las Vegas as well, too. That's right. And I, and I had canvas companies in Oregon, Colorado, Nevada, Michigan, um, and also Maine. All right. So the question I'm going to ask you right off the bat, New York is now moving towards uh, an adult use market, you know, there's ridiculous amounts of predictions for uh, the New York market, perhaps equaling the California market in five years. Has the New York law that that they voted in and are starting to do regulations, did they get it right in that state? So, so ironically, far? ironically, I was in New York City last night and there was more cannabis shops popping up and more people walking through saying, hey, I have the best weed here. Buy my weed. You want a joint? You want this? You want that? And ironically, the, the people that parked the car behind me bought some cannabis and started rolling right in their car. And I started laughing. And they're like, what's so funny? And I'm like, because how long did it take for this to happen? Um, but to answer your question directly, um, it's really too soon to tell. And yeah. I know that sounds like a very political answer. Yeah. But if we look at New York, New Jersey, it's such a conundrum and how they're still trying to actually figure out the rules and regulations. And the one state I like to use a lot is Michigan, 
because Michigan had the most amount of medical patients. So they had a good system in place. So when it went recreational, they had a lot of the rules and regulations in place. New York state doesn't have that much of a, have a bunch of medical patients, nor did New Jersey really. So you're still figuring out the rules and regulations and you're still figuring out, you know, how to keep the rec program separate from the medical program. Um, I've gone on numerous shows and Jimmy, you've heard me say this before. I personally think all 50 states should get medical cannabis. Then we can worry about the recreational, but when we going back and forth. That's where you have a big mix uh, on how to use this medicine how to implement it and really figure out the rules and regs. So, um, you know, it's gonna be very, very interesting overall to see how this rolls out. I think we're gonna have numerous delays in New York, just like in New Jersey or like any other state, so. Kim, you're in New Mexico. Can you walk me through, you know, how it evolved there? I, I know somewhat what happened there. Was it legislature or a ballot question? So it was it was legislative. So New Mexico uh, passed a uh, medical program in 2008, a Compassionate Care Act, and has had a pretty robust medical program in place since then. And then last year uh, in 2021, the legislature passed adult use in a special session called by uh, our governor. And adult use comes online April 1st. So uh, New Mexico had a, a fairly robust medical system in place, and then a very aggressive uh, regulation writing um, process for adult use to be able to come online so quickly. Uh, so adult use will, will come online in New Mexico April 1st. Uh, there is a scramble, but um, I think the state is as ready as any state that makes that transition is. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be great. And, you know, in New York, I, you know, I'll add to your comments on the New York legislation because we have, you know, we kind of, we're kind of New York and New Mexico based. And it was interesting to me that uh, those are our two operating headquarters. And New York and New Mexico adopted adult use a day away from each other last uh, first quarter of last year, which is, I always personally took credit for that. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think the one thing that I would say about the New York uh, legislation that I think they really did get right was the emphasis on social equity and social justice. And in particular, what I like about the New York statute, the rules, the regs aren't all written read up yet, obviously, but the way they are forcing a flat industry in New York adult use, meaning like for their social consumption, um, uh, the social consumption statute requires that one uh, one licensee can have no more than three licenses. So meaning you're not going to have like a Starbucks of social consumption in New York, right? You're going to have smaller entrepreneurs. It's going to, I think it's going to really unleash a lot of creativity at the you know social consumption level. So I think a lot of the ways they wrote that, that legislation to, to flatten the industry and give smaller entrepreneurs an opportunity to get into this space. I think you probably all saw the, the announcement that came out last night on New York about the, the preference for um, licensees who have a, a past criminal conviction. Like right. that, this is some pretty like, you know, groundbreaking uh, um, news for the industry. So lots of, lots of interesting stuff going it, on. It, in it is Kim. And I just want to add though, and maybe I'm a little jaded being in this industry for over a decade yeah. um, on paper, I agree, but I've seen too many other states and too many other companies find, figure out workarounds and people trying to hustle the system. Yeah. So in theory, Kim, you're spot on. And maybe I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but let's see really how it's implemented and really what happens. Cause the other thing is too, like, let's look at Connecticut. Connecticut, um, I believe uh, for their social equity, it's $3 million for the license. 
the largest ever in the U.S. for 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 a social equity license. Like that's that that that's mind blowing, right? You know, so that that's where I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens overall. But you but you make some great points, Kim. Yeah. Uh, let me ask Kim one more question about uh, New Mexico. Are they did they automatically give adult use licenses to the medical dispensaries like Arizona did to open the market, or are they getting separate applications and trying to separate the two entities? There will be both. There will be both. So, okay. you know, the um, I mean, I think similar, I think Massachusetts did something similar where like legacy uh, medical providers could also have adult use, but um, there was a requirement where there was a percentage of inventory that had to be reserved for people with a medical card to ensure right. that patients had access to medicine. And right. I think some of those things are really important. Yeah, and totally. And, and people do forget that this really is a, a medicinal product. It, it interacts with your endocannabinoid system that's inside every mammal. And, and, and it affects everybody differently. I think, some, I don't know if it was uh, one of you guys, we talked about sativa versus indica. That's now being debunked, right? Because it isn't about sativa or indica as much as it is about the terpenes that, that steer the mm -hmm. cannabinoids. Uh, am I accurate there? David, you're going, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's 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 a it's a fair it's a fair assumption to say. Yeah, Chef Nikki, you find that out too? Yeah, for sure. Definitely, different profiles have different effects to, towards them, and you know, just like any other smell for people, like if you're into a certain smell, usually if a strain smells that way, that's usually the one for you as well. I, I, to me, it all smells good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not very discerning. What can I tell you guys? I have it, you know, I, and that's one of the reasons why I'm leaving my body to science. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'm going to list all the things I took over 40, 50 years of usage and share that with the science community. And I have no problem if they want to dissect me like I did that frog in 10th grade. Um, Josh, what's going on in Washington State? You, you guys have had the um, the reputation of being one of the early adapters to legal cannabis, and yet I hear things about the state that they're not really. Um, it, it's not as fair as I thought it would be at this point in time of their maturity. Two things I think that are keeping investors out of the Washington State market is the limited um, the limited ability. For ownership, you can only have 10%. It's capped. And then it's anything over that is requires you to have residency. So you need to live here for six months in order to, to own anything more than that. So that obviously right off the bat is, is going to um, be a huge deterrent for people and then not being vertically integrated. So you have to either pick, are you going to do retail or are you going to grow and or have a brand? And, you know, like Dr. David mentioned, uh, being jaded in the industry happens when you've been in it too long, or you, you have the experience that we do seeing folks that have first mover advantages in Washington state that have, have a heart, the license, they sold that to, uh, an Arizona based, um, company, an MSO, um, harvest health, maybe. Mm -hmm. So whoever they sold it to, they took the money, they went to uh, California, they bought, um, they worked with in partnership with a, um, social equity applicant. They ended up going to a business partner of the social equity applicant, paid them off, got the license, and then sold it. Very, very shady. Um, 
And, <laughs> and the person holding the license had no idea that his business partner sold it from right out from underneath him. So it does kind of bring up um, some questions about like, where is that investment focus, knowing that there's limited license states? Because just like New Mexico being legislative, it's not hippies on the street saying, hey, let's sign this because we want it. Saying, no, legislators, the, the, the bureaucrats are getting these the message from lobbyists saying, make this a limited license state so that we have a lot of opportunities to make a lot of money. And that's where a lot of investment focus is coming at. So, uh, Dr. David, you're going to be at a couple events coming up. You're going to be at MJ Impact in the fall in New York. Yep. If you're going to Northeast Can. Why are you going to those events and where is the investment focus? Are we seeing grows or brands or retail or is it delivery? And, uh, and, and before I answer that question, something else that I've seen, I've seen contracts where the minority, someone is a minority, they are trying to get a minority license, but once they get it, they have to turn over and switch the equity position within 90 days. Mm. Like, so like I've seen like contracts with subsidiary contracts, to the side, I mean, there's a lot of shady, not very kosher stuff going on. But to answer your question, um, so this year right now, I am I am personally scheduled to attend, I want to say it's 16 cannabis conferences this year, not networking events, just conferences. Um, so the reason why I go in like to NECAN Boston is one, um, just New England is at its infancy stage compared to the West Coast. And if you take the surface area of New England, it's roughly half the surface area of the entire West Coast but twice the population. Mm -hmm. um, and people forget Maine is the second state to get medical marijuana back in 1999. So there's a lot of rules and regulations that Maine has really fought to get, which you see a lot of other states uh, starting to, to, to do. So in terms of those different, conf like that conference really attending to one, do our seminar that we're actually doing uh, on Saturday, how to raise your social capital, to raise capital, but also to actually meet some clients, some new investors, and really what we're seeing investors putting their money towards um, a lot of individuals, their sweet spots, like under 250,000, that's a lot of individual investor sweet spot where they say, okay, we can kind of wait three to four years for a potential, uh, return on investments. Um, people that are raising, right. As you say more than about $5 million, you really going more so family offices, venture capitalists, maybe some, uh, high net worth individuals. Um, and we're really seeing for the investors now is, what is your management team, first off? Mm. And the second thing is, what's your three-year plan, four-year plan, more than just one facility? And we're seeing a big divide in investors right now. I don't pick on New York and New Jersey. Once again, I, I attended a couple of networking events last night in New York City. I was the only canvas guy there, which is great. And there are some people there that I met, they're like, hey, listen, this is how much money I have to invest. I don't care. Find me a deal somewhere in the country. Versus other people, which is no... I rah rah New York. I will only do a business in New York, and that's it. Hmm. So if you're an investor and someone's rah rah about their only state, and the and the upside is capped and limited, well, it's a little bit harder to get that investment money. Um, we're not seeing so much in uh, in grows or dispensaries as much, unless you have a plan to have multiple locations within a set period of time. Then investors are happy with that. We're seeing a lot of ancillary services right now. And especially people that have answer services have patents or patents are pending on technology or maybe a product. Uh, investors are really liking that. Um, and, that's what, and that's what we're seeing right now in, in the investment community in cannabis out here on the East Coast. How do, how do they feel about media companies? Anyway, hey, um, Kim, I want to get back to you. Uh, what David just described, is that your experience? You've got a privately 
held invest, investor-backed company. How many years have you been do, in this business? Yeah, so we, uh, we raised our seed round in 2018, and we did our first uh, license launch in, uh, later that year, 2018, in Massachusetts. So we've been you know, around doing this for four years-ish. Um, and we are a technology-focused, innovation-focused company, so we're all about uh, creating and licensing our intellectual property. So send them our way. We're actually not raising money um, right now. Um, we're just growing on our own steam, so we're, um, we, we, we're and, all about and, which is Which is great, and kudos, Kim. And one of the biggest things we tell our clients here at UCS Advisors is, how much money do you need, and then how much do you need, like, in what tranches? And what do you need within 60 right. days, within, you know, six months, within nine months? Because a lot of people don't think that far ahead. Uh, uh, and oh. I see you shaking your head because you're like, yeah, because that happens all, all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so my, I'm, a, I'm shaking my head. I'm a recovering venture capitalist. So I spent okay. most of my career investing in high tech startup companies and then sort of, you know, ended up in the cannabis world. And that's just, you know, mind blowing as an invest with my investor hat on. So right. Right. And, and, uh, and, so, and someone like Kim with your background, and this goes back to Josh's question, hmm. like, and this is kind of what we do. We kind of help. Uh, tell the story backed by objective data. And with mm -hmm. Kim's background doing venture capital, that puts her above so many other competitors looking to raise capital because she has the experience of actually deploying it, make sure it's utilized properly, seeing what the potential returns are. So she can really think about her investors ahead of time. So, you know, kudos to you. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a huge plus on your end. That's a great example of, you know, having a great management team already in place for a company. I'm learning by doing, let's just say here. Okay. Uh, I, I listen to you, David. I want to follow everything you say. And then reality strikes. And it's so tough to run a company and raise money for a company at the same time, isn't it? <laughs> it yes, it is. As someone that has started over 10 companies and I've raised money for 12 of my, actually 13 of my own companies. Yeah. Um, it is, it's difficult, but it's also about having the right people in place. It's also, as I tell people, do the work the first time. Yes, it might be a pain in the butt to do your performa, your deck or whatever, but it's, you're going to have that for the next six months, roughly. So once you do it right, and like, I'm going to use Kim as an example, she's not raising money right now, but let's say she's like, hey, I need to raise $2 million. She can go back to what she did several years ago and use that as a, as a, as a reference point and, mm -hmm. and, and a jumping point. And, and this is where and part of telling our lecture, do you, there's a difference between lending and fundraising. Lending is just give me money and I'm lazy. Like here, here, here's my bank statements. Here's my vision. Do you want to give me money? Yes or no. Fundraising is, is like networking. It takes constant work. Um, and literally this is where a lot of times uh, people out there will reach out to someone like us at UCS Advisors as investor relations experts mm -hmm. to literally hire us to help them and guide them so they don't waste their time on fundraising because if you raise your money properly, you can only, if you really want to, it's only going to take a couple hours a week once you're organized and you have it set up. But if you don't, it can seem like you're constantly doing both. Why would they reach out to you? A lot of people don't know what investor relations is. Is it an investment banker? Is it public relations specialist? Can you explain? Sure. So um, most people can go to like a broker dealer. That's not what we are. We are investor relations experts. So in other words, we are investor relations advisors. So for publicly traded companies, we tend to work with the board of directors. Uh, we work with them to work on their short-term and long-term goals. For a company that's just starting out, trying to raise money, uh, the best analogy is this, Josh. Um, all of us here, I assume, have seen Shark Tank, right? Yeah. We're the ones that work with you before you get on Shark Tank to work on your pitch, to work on how to talk to investors, to use the positive power of negative preparation so you know the gist 
of actually how to answer a potential investor's question. Um, and that's where an investor relations expert comes in. And it, it's you don't need to hire someone full time. We do our stuff by the hour and we offer a refund within six months if you're not happy with us. Because for, for us, it's about building that long lasting relationship. But this is where I tell people, your lawyer will hire someone like us and then upcharge you what they're paying us. Your business coach goes out and hires someone like us and then upcharge you to talk to us. So as I kind of tell people, you have your lawyer, you have your accountant, maybe you have your business coach. If you need to raise money, do fundraising, then you might want to get an investor relations expert to assist you with that. So, and, it, <laughs> it, and here's a great example, Jimmy. And I used this last night in New York. Someone needed money and they were pitching me. It was a real estate deal. And I was like, great. The guy's like, I don't need an investor relations expert. I got my pitch down on everything. I go, fine. I'm going to ask you one question right now because you have your pitch down. He's like, what is it? I go, tell me three objective points about your business that makes you different than your competitors. Huh? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I got to go back and look at my notes. I'm like, so you're not prepared. I'm like, you just lost money right now. You just lost an opportunity of all the investors I represent because you're that sure. So, um, and that's where, once again, investor relations expert helps prepare you ahead of time. So anyone you talk to at any networking event, like Jimmy at NECAM Boston, so you can be prepared to talk to people say, oh, great. I'm looking to invest in opportunities. I, well, I'm an opportunity myself. So I, I tell you, it, it, it's a, I, I love listening to you, David. I really do because it's like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. You know, and I just go down that list. But uh, first of all, we're, we're up against the, the top of the hour. David, um, tell us where people, if they want to take your seminar, you got, you know, here's the floor. Tell them how to get involved, get on the NECAN site and all that. Sure. Uh, so it's actually next Saturday, March 19th at 9 a.m. If you go to kneecan.com, click on boss, the Boston venue, and you'll see the workshops, how to raise your social capital to raise capital, or uh, kneecan next level is our, is our website that takes you right to the page. Uh, everyone's asking, will we be done before Steve D'Angelo is a keynote speaker on Saturday at 12 p.m.? And the answer is yes. So you can come take our seminar, still make the keynote speaker. If you want to learn more about me, uh, David Kunick, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, the, at the end of my profile, it says willing to achieve greatness. Just email me that message. And I know you read the profile and you're being serious. It's also a good way too to make sure someone's not spamming you the, the email either. Um, our website, ucsadvisor.com. And we just launched a, a five minute quiz to see if you're ready to actually pitch to investors. And wow. if you can answer these 12 questions in six minutes or less with confidence, you're ready to pitch. If you need, if you can't, oh, there's a good chance you're, you need some help. This yeah. sounds like a challenge. I got to go do that now. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty cool. Okay. I, I'm, at, I'm, I'm being full disclosure though, Kim. I, I, the website designer did not make the questions super dark. So in the process of fixing that as we speak, but yeah, I tell people do that quiz. It's mm -hmm. six minutes. And cool. people that have pitched are like, oh, six minutes, that's easy. People have not pitched like, oh my God, I can't do all this in, in six minutes. Like, well, you need to tweak things, Ed. <laughs> I can do I can do a lot of things in six minutes. Uh, Kim, how do people find out about Azuka? And uh, go ahead, name a few dispensaries in the Massachusetts area because we do have uh, some followers here. Yeah, um, azukatime.com is our website, and you can sort of click in the, and, and get in touch with all of us. Um, let's see, some of our partners in Massachusetts are Temple Hill and Revolutionary Clinics. So there's some great great folks out there. My original sponsor of my podcast from March of 2018, the Rev Clinics group. So uh, Keith, Keith Cooper is awesome. And I think you know everybody else there too. And by the way, a get well wish for Tom Schneider, who's really there. 
COO, chief marketing officer. He did his vaccinations. He did his booster. He stayed away from people and he still got COVID this week. Okay. So while we all sit here and say, it's over, it's over. I'd like to think it's over, but you can still get it. So just be careful out there. Chef Nikki, how do they find you? Uh, so my website, K-I-T-H-C-E-N dot C-O, not dot com. Um, you can find out a bunch of information there. Also on my LinkedIn profile, Nicholas Escoto. Um, also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And I'm doing a event on April 2nd and in- infused invite only. If you want to find out any ways to get on that list, just DM me on any of the social platforms. And I'm looking to do a little bit of a, something that I call a hot box, which is using, utilizing other brands to kind of use either their non-infused formulations and different formulations to be involved in a box that consumers can enjoy with a three-course meal that they can do at their own home for holidays and so such. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and you know what? I love the fact that all three of you, you're on my book of life, okay? Because you didn't know you were going to do this at the beginning of today. And I so appreciate you making the time and making yourselves available. Josh Kincaid, The Talking Hedge, where can people find you? TheTalkingHedge.com. We're on a podcast everywhere. So just look at The Talking Hedge. There you go. So for everybody here at Pro Cannabis Media, reminder, our new show is coming up next on our network of social media platforms. So Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there, people. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.